Well, friends, it is a real joy to be with you this morning. Uh, many of you are old friends, some of you are new friends, and it truly is an honor for me to be here with you this morning to preach God's word to you. Uh, Eric and I have, uh, when I was an undergraduate student at Moody Bible Institute, I did my internship while he was an associate pastor at Moody Bible Institute, or at, at Good News Bible Church. And then later on, he and I have taken two trips to Liberia together, and, uh, and, and he and so many of you are close and dear friends to me and to our family. Uh, some of you are tios and tias to my little ones, Ezra Joel and Elias Rowe. And so I'm so uh, happy to be here to bring the word to you. But you didn't come here this morning for me to tell you about my friends. You came here this morning to hear a word from the Lord and about the Lord. Amen? Yeah. Or as my, uh, one of my heroes, Cecilio Arrastia, puts it, he says, any sermon that is not pointing with all of its indexes, with all of its fingers to Jesus Christ is a sermon that suffers from, uh, uh, from uh, I'm trying to translate it in my head. Uh, Kelly, help me out. What is it when, uh, no, what, what's wrong with your bones? They, they hurt. Arthritis, there it is. Any sermon that does not point with all of its fingers to Jesus Christ suffers from arthritis. And so we need a word from the Lord this morning. Amen? Well, I'm going to do one more thing. I know we've been waiting for the word, but, but, but let, let me just pray because I need the Lord's help uh, this morning. We need the Lord's help this morning. So let me just ask our God to, to, to lead us again. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Lord, we need a word from you today. Help me, Lord, to be your messenger, your servant, your witness to what you would have us here this morning. Holy Spirit, use me. Move through this place. Help us, O oh God, because we need your help. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now this morning, I'd like for you to turn your Bibles, in your Bibles, to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Now, some of you might be saying, Matthew, wait a minute, we were in Judges. Well, your pastor, Pastor Eric, asked me if I'd be willing to preach out of Judges, and I felt like our brother Joshua this morning, and I said, no, brother, I'm not doing that one. <laughs> I'm going to leave all those hard passages to you and Josh and everybody else. And so I sent him a few passages, and I said, what, what about these, Pastor? And he said, why, why not preach out of Matthew? I think the people might appreciate the word out of the Gospel of Matthew. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew 18, beginning at verse 21. Now, before I read this passage, I'm not going to read it, so you can go ahead and take a seat. I'm sorry, I'm not going to read the passage just yet. But before we read this passage, you can see it above me. But there is a truth that you and I know deep down in our hearts. Forgiving is harder than it seems. You know, if I'm honest with you, forgiveness is nice in the abstract. It's nice when I'm thinking about it in hypotheticals, but when it's right in front of me, I don't think it's that nice at all. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. We like forgiveness in theory. From afar, stories of forgiveness can be so inspiring, but then when we are faced with the very challenge of extending forgiveness to someone else, we say it costs too much. 
Maria was once an important faithful member of the church. She used to attend every meeting, was involved in several ministries, and was there every Sunday to greet you with a smile. But then she stopped coming. Her adult, her adult children still attend the church, and if you ask them, they would say, oh, she's in good health. But she still refuses to come. What happened? Well, she got into a disagreement with one of the other leading women, and she was in the right. But the other woman said what she said, and Maria was still angry. That was five years ago. But she has no intention of coming back. She was in the right. And sometimes it's hard to forgive when you're in the right. And Jonathan tries his best to avoid his brother Keith. They see each other at all the major holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas. They say hello to one another and even on occasion share a few jokes together. But Jonathan is cold to Keith. And everyone sees it. Even Keith noticed and tried to call him after their last gathering, but Jonathan won't answer the phone. And if he does, he says, oh, I'm too busy to talk right now. And everyone knows that there's a problem. What happened? Well, it turns out Jonathan has been angry with his brother for quite some time. When they were younger, Keith, the older brother, picked on Jonathan. He made him feel small, and he found humor in things that Jonathan didn't find funny. So now, as an adult, Jonathan is angry and bitter. His brother did him wrong. And sometimes it's hard to forgive when you've been wronged. Do you find it easy to forgive? I know I don't. Forgiveness is hard and unpleasant, especially when it's right in front of us. And yet, sitting here in church, you and I know that we are supposed to forgive. I'm not the first preacher to tell you that, and I'm sure I won't be the last. Jesus even told his disciples on quite a number of occasions. In fact, do you remember the time that he was teaching his disciples how to pray? The ending of the prayer always rubs me the wrong way. Right after, give us this day our daily bread, Jesus adds, forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. I like the first bits of the prayer. Your kingdom come, give us our daily bread, forgive us our sins, but that last part, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. That part's a little tricky for me. I wonder if it was also tricky for his disciples. Because one day, Jesus was teaching his disciples here in the very passage that we have opened before us. And Jesus was teaching on a number of things. And one of the things that he's teaching them on is on this subject of forgiveness. And Jesus goes on again about forgiving everyone. And I think one of the disciples wasn't really feeling it that morning. Something didn't sit well with Peter. And so Peter's the first one to speak up. You see it there, verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, Peter comes up to the preacher. Some of y'all do that after the preacher's done preaching. Y'all come up to the preacher to ask a few questions. Sometimes those aren't really questions. Those are more like statements. <laughs> preacher, I got a question. <laughs> you really got a statement. And so Peter comes with a question that's really more like a statement. 
You see it there in your Bibles. Here's what he says. <laughs> he comes up to him afterwards and he says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? You have to hand it to Peter. At least he's honest. <laughs> what are you trying to tell me, Jesus? I'm supposed to give people a free pass over and over again? Wrong me once, shame on you. Wrong me seven times, shame on me, right? I don't know if Peter had a specific person in mind. I don't know if he and his wife had it out that morning. I don't even know if Peter was thinking back to when he was a fisherman. And he remembered that one fisherman who tried to steal all of the good spots and tried to rob him on his money. But Peter wasn't feeling it this morning. So he said, how long, Jesus, will this keep happening to me? And I still forgive him. Seven times? I appreciate Peter's honesty. Because Peter acknowledges what so many of us acknowledge. Forgiveness is hard. And it's especially hard when we can quantify the sins that are done against us. When I was a young boy, my father was unfaithful. And then he chose the other woman and left our home. Before he left, he was an active father. He was at all of our baseball games. He would play catch. He would do all of those things. And then he wasn't. He made all kinds of promises. I'll pick you up after school. We'll get that ice cream you like. I'll come on the weekend and we can go to that special park that you've been talking about. But he didn't keep most of them. After a few years, he moved back to the Dominican Republic and his failed promises stung even more. When I was 15 years old, five years after I had come to faith, the Lord moved me to forgive my father. I even called him to tell him that Jesus told me to forgive him. But he didn't change. He still forgot birthdays. He still made promises to visit and didn't keep those promises. And even earlier this year, my own son, my four-year-old son, looked up at me and said, Papi, where's your papi? And it hurt all over again. So I appreciate Peter's words. How often will my father sin against me? And I forgive him. As many as seven times? So what does Jesus say? Well, you know the story. I don't know if I like what Jesus says. <laughs> Look at verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. I'm not good at math. Some of you are. I had to put it in my calculator. 70 times seven, 490 times. Okay, Jesus. It's a lot more than I thought. It's a lot less than 500, though. Maybe I could do that bit. But he's not doing addition here. He's not adding time after time. What Jesus is telling Peter is this. Our forgiveness has no end. I don't know how I feel about that. Peter must have also felt a kind of way about it. And so Jesus said, he's not quite getting it. Let me tell this man a story. 
And so he told them a story. Jesus liked to tell stories from time to time. If you ever pick up the Gospels, you know that he often told these stories called parables. Y'all might read a parable from time to time, and we often wonder, what in the world is a parable? We've heard it growing up in church, but this is what a parable is. A parable was one of Jesus' favorite ways of teaching. Parables were a kind of metaphor, usually in the form of stories that were drawn from everyday life. Some of these everyday life things lose us who've grown up in the city. But they're from everyday life. And they're told in order to elicit some kind of response from the listener. Sometimes the response was identification with the characters in the story or the situations. Sometimes the whole point of the story was to unsettle the listener and cause the listener to reflect on his or, own li- his or her own life or even on the things of God. And even though they were drawn from everyday life, whenever Jesus told them, they had a surprising quality to them. Now, those of us who have grown up in the church have read these parables from time to time. And they're so familiar to you and I uh, that you lose the surprise. And so I want you to do something this morning that I would never advise my students to do. In fact, if a student did this in in a class, I would fail them on the spot. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to ask you to close your Bibles. <laughs> I don't know about this preacher. I'm like, man, JJ better come back up here and snatch that pulpit from him. Just, just bear with me. Just bear with me. Close that Bible up just for a moment. Because I want to retell this story. And I want you to hear this story as if you're hearing it for the first time. As if you had never heard it before. I know you've heard this story before. You even know what it's called. I'm not going to tell you what it's called, but you know the story. But I want you to hear this story as if you've never heard it before. Because that's how Peter and his disciples heard it. And as they were sitting there stewing on this difficult truth that our forgiveness is to have no end, Jesus tells them this parable. He says there was once a man who had fallen into significant financial crisis. He had what even Dave Ramsey would call an impossible amount of debt. No amount of snowballs and baby steps could get this poor man out of trouble. He owed more than a lifetime of debt. Now, he had seen better financial days. Things were once really good. His overtime was getting approved, and he got all the best shifts. He even invested a little bit of money in real estate and got this real nice property, a rental property in a real good neighborhood. And then he put a little money away in his 401k, and even that was doing well. The economy was great. It was so good that one of his coworkers, who wasn't having as good of a situation, said, listen, I, I need some help. He said, Don't, what, what do you need? I'm good. My pockets are full. What do you need, brother? He said, well... Could you help me out with a loan? A loan? Sure, why not? It's been a good year for me. What do you want? $10,000? Will that that see you through this rough patch? I said, yeah, $10,000 would help. Go a long way. I'll draw the paperwork up right now. Here are the terms. You pay me back little by little, and you'll be on your way. Things were good. But then a recession hit. He started getting involuntary days off without pay. 
those, that investment property that he had couldn't find anyone to be rented to. And the property taxes were so high that he was losing money on the investment. And his 401k, he had, less, he had lost more money than he ever put into that thing. He was broke. Or I'll tell you how we used to say it in the Bronx as Dominicans. Ese tipo estaba en olla. He was hurting. So there he was, trying to make ends meet, very little to help him. So he did what most of us do when we're in that situation. He started adding debt to his problems. He kept saying, well, it's going to turn. It's going to turn. My luck will change. Maybe the economy might change. But it didn't. And so he had accumulated so much debt, it was beyond anything that he could have ever imagined. Making matters worse, his coworker stopped paying on his debt. Maybe that was the beginning of the downturn. Maybe that was what started his financial situation. I get it. $10,000 wouldn't, wouldn't make much of a difference when you owe a lifetime worth of debt, but it was still $10,000. $10,000 might be a drop in a vast ocean, but it was still his by rights. He was owed that money. His coworker had to pay it. So one day he called on his coworker and told him the cold hard truth. I need the money you owe me. Your loan has come due. Pay me what you owe me in full. But his coworker didn't have the money. What do you mean you don't have the money? I need that money. He was so angry that he took his coworker by the collar and he began to choke the man as he screamed in his face, "Pay me what you Owe me. I wish he hadn't choked the man. I mean, if you think about it, forget the angry outburst and the violence. You kind of feel for him, don't you? I mean, it was his money. They did agree to the terms. He was owed this money by rights. Right? Right is right. And he was wronged. Why should he be the one to forgive when he was the one who was owed money? Why should I be the one to forgive when I'm in the right? Why should I be the one to forgive when I've been hurt by someone else's actions? Right is right, right? The coworker threw himself on the ground and started begging him, have patience with me, I will pay you, just give me time. I wonder if the man thought to himself, I've given you enough time. I've been patient long enough. I can't let this go on and on when I'm the one who has to pay the price. Whatever he thought, he didn't let go of the man, and he refused the man's pleas, and he threw him into prison. Did our man do anything wrong? Was it wrong of him to do what was just, what was right? I know some of you who know this story might say to me, he did. He should have forgiven him the debt. That's easy when it's not your money on the line. It's easy to say when it's not your problem that you have to forgive. When it's not your pain, your hurt. But still, there is something off about this story. You see, this isn't where the story begins. 
it starts a few hours prior. And if we understand where this story begins, we might understand what was wrong in the man's actions. You can turn back in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 18, looking at Jesus' words. Matthew 18, again, now this time, verse 23. Actually, we'll go back up. Verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seven times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one of them who owed 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now stop right there for a moment. If we start the story here, we might acknowledge with Peter and his disciples that forgiveness is hard, but when we start the story here, we understand why it is something that we ought to do. The reality is that forgiveness comes to us from a whole nother world. It doesn't make sense to us. It's like a foreign language from a faraway country. The words, I forgive you, don't come naturally to most of us. They have to be translated because we can only speak the language of a tooth for a tooth. We can only speak the language of I got to get back at you. We can only speak the language of getting even and bitterness and anger. We can only understand the language of forgiveness when it, is, when it has first been translated for us by someone else. We can only speak the language of I forgive you when someone speaks the words to us in a way that we can understand. And that's where the story begins. You see, there was the man, our man, who was standing before the king. The king, it just so happened, was clearing out his books and he was looking over his ledger and deciding where his debts were. And for whatever reason, he decided that today, today was the day when all of these debts needed to be dealt with. So he calls all his servants before him. One by one, how much do you owe? Can you pay it? Yeah, here it is. And then our man stands before the king. The king says, how much do you owe? Now, some of us don't speak Aramaic or Hebrew or even Greek. And so 10,000 talents doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you and me. What you need to understand is that this was an unbelievable, unimaginable amount of debt. It's as if Jesus said he owed a bazillion dollars. This debt isn't getting paid. But he comes to the king and says, that's how much I owe. So the king says, do you have it? The man swallows hard. He's trying to go back in his mind, thinking about any cushions that he may have left some change in or something. But he's run out of all excuses. He's got nothing. But he didn't answer the king. So the king asks him a second time, man, can you pay this debt? No, sir, I can't. Then take this man, 
and his whole family and put them into prison. That's how bad it was. It was so bad that even his whole family and his children had to pay the penalty for this death. The man said, I'm, have mercy on me. I can't pay it. Help me, please. Do you know what happened? Y'all know what happened. The king looks at the man, and he says, okay, it's all cleared. Not, I'll give you a payment plan. Not, I'll give you two weeks. Not, I'll take everything you own. He says, it's all clear. You don't owe me a thing. You're free. Your family's free. Now imagine with me. Our man is walking out of the king's palace. He was sweating bullets. <laughs> His cloth is drenched in sweat. He throws it on the ground and says, I don't need that anymore. It's like he's dancing to his house. And then he sees that coworker. And you might think, okay, he's going to say, look, man, it's a good day today. All debts are clear. He says, no, this man owes me $10,000. You mean to tell me after everything that just happened in the king's palace, you're going to choke the man and send him to prison over $10,000? Hmm. Now we understand the friends, the other people's response, don't we? Verse 28. But the slave went out and found one of the fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he could pay back what he owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their master all that had happened. Then summoning him, his master said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his master moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he could repay all that he was owed. And then Jesus turns to the disciples and says, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. You see, this king's forgiveness had no end up until the point where this man did not do likewise. What's $10,000 when you've been forgiven a lifetime of debt? What's an unkind word? What's a wound even to your soul when you have been forgiven for eternity? Jesus says, your forgiveness is to be without end. Now, some of you might hear that this morning and still be a little bit concerned. Because I know that many of you 
have experienced hurts and wounds that are deeper than even words can express. Some of you are even in the middle of it right now. Day after day, being hurt with words and even more. And your heart is angry and bitter. And what I want to say to you this morning, that with the help of our Lord and Savior, that you can forgive. That you can say these words, I forgive you. Now, Now, don't hear me wrong. That does not mean that you stay in situations that are abusive to you. That does not mean that you stay in relationships that need to end. That does not mean that you continue on and on without boundaries. That's not what I'm saying to you this morning. What I'm saying to you this morning, that the way of Jesus, the way of the cross, is the way of forgiveness that says, I lay down my angerness and bitterness, and I say, I forgive you. And I hand you over to the Lord. Let him do with you what he will do. May he forgive you and change your life. But as for my own heart, I will forgive you. When I was in college, my mother's faith started to sound different. We had grown up in Catholic church, and we had gone to church because it was the right thing to do. And then when we moved out of New York and moved to Michigan, we started attending this small Christian Reformed Spanish church. I noticed my mother's Bible on her bedside table more and more. I noticed that she talked differently. I noticed that something had happened in her life. And then one day, one evening, I'm saying goodnight, pidiendo bendición, so many of us do. And she looks at me and says, we've got to pray for your father. He's lost his way, he's hurting, and we need to pray for him. Now, my mother had always tried not to say too many bad words about my father, but sometimes they slipped out. (laughs) But she never invited me to pray for him. What had happened? She forgave him. And she was inviting me to forgive him each day. Now, like I said, I got to admit to you, I might talk to my father once a year by God's grace. And it's a cordial conversation. It's not an angry conversation. We're doing fine. But I have to forgive him each day. I have to pray to my God, Lord, I give away my anger, my bitterness, my pain, and I lay it down at your feet. Why is that? Because forgiveness is like a foreign language. It needs to be translated before you and I can understand it or speak it. And you all know that it was translated, don't you? That Friday afternoon, 
when our Lord and Savior was betrayed in that garden. And when he was abandoned by all of his friends, save for a few faithful women. And then they took him down that road, road and they stripped him of his clothes and they whipped him and they beat him and they spit at him. You remember that Friday afternoon? They put a crown of thorns around his head, mocking him for all that he said he was. And they put that rugged cross on his back until his body could not give anymore and they had to put the cross on someone else's back. And then they stood him on that cross and they nailed nails into his hands and into his feet and they lifted him up on that cross. And there... Jesus was translating for us that language from a faraway country. Because while he was up there on that cross, he said those words. Do you remember? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He could have just as easily said, Father, forgive them, for they know not the language that we speak. But he hung there on that cross. And after those hours had gone by, Our Lord said the words that should bring comfort to you and I. He said, it is finished. That way of vengeance, that way of anger, that way of bitterness, it is finished. But if the story ended there, friends, this would be a sad story, would it not? Because then early on Sunday morning... I got to say it to you how the old preachers used to say it. Early on Sunday morning, those same faithful women made that journey to that tomb. Why? Because they expected to see a dead Savior in that tomb. But the angel came out to them, and I'll tell you how my son likes to tell it when he's preaching. That's right, a four-year-old. He says, the angel said to Mary, don't be afraid. Jesus isn't here. Why do you come searching for the living among the dead? Why? Because he is risen. He is risen indeed. And that power, that power that raised Jesus from the dead is that same Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost power that comes inside you and I and raised us from the dead. It's that same power that gives us new speech It's the Rosetta Stone of the Christian that teaches us how to say to one another, I forgive you. It's that same power that lets me say, oh, Lord, I I cannot handle it anymore. I lay down my burdens before you. I lay down this person before you. I lay down my brother, my father, my sister, my husband, my wife, my ex-wife. I lay them all down at your cross. For you have taught me how to say I forgive you because you once forgave me. And you told me that your forgiveness is without end. So when I am not able, I will fall before the cross and say, Holy Spirit, strengthen me to speak the words that you have called me to speak, to do that which you have asked me to do. Forgiveness is harder than it seems. But it is the language of those of us who call Jesus our Savior. Jesus says, take up your cross 
and follow me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your strength, Holy Spirit, that enables us, empowers us when we are not able. Or as the Apostle Paul said, when we don't have words to speak, the Holy Spirit groans on our behalf. So Holy Spirit, help us. Strengthen us. Give us all that we need this day and the next and the next and the next. Because, Lord, if we're honest with you this morning, forgiveness is hard. But we know it was hard for you, too. We know know that it cost you your life. And you gladly laid it down for us. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We thank you, and we choose this day to follow the way of the cross, empowered by our resurrected Lord and his Holy Spirit. Amen.